Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 83 for February the 16th, 2012. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest is Paul Ducklin joining me once again. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Chester. The weather's improved here, you'll be glad to know. It actually feels like summer for the first time in a while. Well, hopefully it doesn't catch on because it still does not feel like winter here, and I would be just fine with it staying uh, 10 degrees and not much rain. Patch Tuesday was this week, uh, and it was quite a large one. So Microsoft gave a Valentine's Patch Tuesday and released nine bulletins, of which they considered four of them uh, as critical. They also rated five of them as important, whereas Sophos Labs disagreed with that a bit and actually rated one of those as medium and two more as high. Uh, are there any highlights or any particular uh, patches you think from this month's batch that warrant more attention than others? The ones to watch out for are the ones that Microsoft give the label critical to, and then double watch out for them if Sophos Labs rate them at the highest level. What that means generally, if something is critical, it means that the vulnerability could be used for remote code execution. And if Sophos Labs puts it at high, that means that we either have already seen or soon expect to see someone actually exploiting this vulnerability in the wild. Uh, with remote code execution, what we mean is that executable code can be buried in an innocent-looking data file that's served up, for example, in a web page, maybe as an image or a font or a PDF file or something like that. So wherever you see critical and wherever you see RCE, remote code execution, take those particularly seriously, because those are probably the ones where the bad guys are going to be focusing their attention, because it basically means immediate automatic remote control if you are not careful. Well, yeah, mo most interesting to me this month was that there were actually more bulletins affecting Windows 7 and Vista than affecting Windows XP. And, and I've heard a lot of people at seminars and things talking about, well, if we could just get rid of XP, you know, Windows 7 is bulletproof. But this is the first time we're starting to see XP kind of, because it has less features and less functionality, not be vulnerable to some of the exploits that Microsoft's having to fix in their newer operating systems. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I can just tell, Chester, that you are gagging to use that groovy term, attack surface area, aren't you? Uh, well, you know, it is a favorite topic of mine and, and yours as well, I happen to know. The other thing I was thinking about was the, the research that Paul Bacchus, our colleague in the UK, published recently showing how these vulnerabilities over time are actually targeted far long after they're introduced. You know, when Sophos Labs marks some of these as high, a lot of that's based on past experience of things like Paul documented in his paper about uh, RTF files and how they're still being used to target an exploit from two years ago. Well, we discussed this last week, didn't we, when we went over our 2012 threat report our collective surprise to find that the most reported malware out there was still Conficker. Yeah. Three years on. So it does seem that sometimes we are our own worst enemies. If we know that there's a hole and we know how to close the hole, shouldn't we all not be scrambling, but at least be proactively trying to deal with those patches and not, as you and I have discussed many times before, leaving them in some change control committee that will decide that in three weeks or three months, we might get around to it. That's just not good enough anymore. So, so speaking of the kings of manipulating scores in the change control committee game, Oracle also released some patches on Valentine's Day for the uh, nearly ubiquitous Java runtime environment. Uh, for most people, what'll be Java 6 update 31 on, uh, certainly on the Windows platform. 
and Java 5 has been updated to update 34, Java 7 to update 3. Of course, if you're a Linux user, you need to try to get OpenJDK because Oracle doesn't love you anymore. Apple will get around to it, I'm sure, when it's important. Actually, it's probably worth pointing out that Apple and Java have sort of parted ways, but not quite. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Chester, but if you have OS X 10.6, the release known as Snow Leopard, not only is Java part of the operating system distro, but actually the JDK, the whole Java development kit, not just the runtime environment, is there, ready and waiting, pre-installed, and of course updated through software update. If you have 10.7, i.e. the Lion release, then Java has actually been excluded by Apple, so it's what you might call an optional extra. And you can go and download it yourself. If you haven't, then of course you don't have to worry about patching it. Unfortunately, if you have, Apple's latest update for the 10.7 version is basically two of Oracle's updates behind. It does get rather confusing and complicated, doesn't it? As you argued on Naked Security, unless you really, really need Java, in the words of, I believe it was Mr. Miyagi in The Karate Kid, best defense is not be there. If you don't need Java, actually uninstall it. And Apple Lion users, for the first time, that's quite easy because it's not part of the distro. The same for Windows and Linux users. Java's an optional extra. And if you don't need it and you don't install it, then you will reduce that attack surface area, and that is not going to do you any harm at all. And the, there is one uh, other batch of patches from Adobe, but I, I was kind of giving the same advice, which is uh, they patch Shockwave and RoboHelp. Um, RoboHelp users, I don't know much about the application, but I'm sure folks should just you know apply the fixes. There's nothing critical there. It was a cross-site script vulnerability, not remote code execution. However, the Shockwave player had nine vulnerabilities, uh, most of which were remote code executions, and Shockwave has not been commonly in use on the web for close to 10 years now. So considering its lack of support on almost every operating system out there besides Windows, it's time to ditch the Shockwave player. So I would not patch Shockwave. I would go and remove it. And if there's something that doesn't work anymore, it's 10 years old, and maybe it's time to move on and make a new friend. So... There's been a bit of controversy in the mobile app world, aside from every security vendor and their brother proclaiming from the rooftop that Android malware has increased. Uh, the real issue that I think is a much more important one to talk about is this issue with Path and Hipster and all these different iOS apps that have been getting approval to the App Store and largely silently and many insecurely without even using HTTPS, sending your entire contact database to the cloud. You know, are people putting too much trust in these mobile app marketplaces and their, their nannies that are supposed to be looking out for us to just make sure people are playing by the rules? Now, if you're going to grab somebody's contact data, whether you choose to send it back with HTTPS or not is another story. If you're going to grab all of that intimate stuff, you should be asking for permission. You know, not asking at all and then saying, oh, you can opt out later. I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. And collectively, we, all of us as end users, need to start sticking up for our rights in that regard and not just going, oh, well, you know, it's so much more fun if we just let everyone connect and then we kind of weed out the stalkers or the freaks or the cyber criminals or goodness knows who's got your data by that time. We really need to be an opt-in society where you have a chance to make an informed decision first rather than that you decide that you've given away information that you want to recall and then having to ask to get it back. I can't stress that strongly enough. We collectively need to say this is not good enough. 
that would be a lot better than waiting for regulators around the world to go, yeah, we're going to make this the law. We actually need to make it a social norm in the same way that we need to make it a social norm that if I take a photo of you in a social situation and I'm planning to put that photo on Facebook or any other social networking site, that I jolly well ask your permission first. It's a very little thing to ask, but it will actually change the game of our recognition and our general use of personally identifiable information. Not that I feel strongly about it, Chester. <laughs> well, it's gotten the attention of the US Congress. They've asked Apple to respond to a lot of the uh, criticisms and going, you know, if it's in your agreement with the developers that you're not allowed to access people's address books without their permission, which it is in the legal terms and conditions that developers agree to, Apple seems to be rather strict with a lot of other guidelines that are also in that very same document, and yet there's really no evidence that they're enforcing this rule at all. So it seems like Congress is going to step in, at least in the United States, to say to Apple, if you've got this strict screening process and you're, you're giving users the impression that you're providing a safety net and, and keeping an eye out for dodgy apps, dodgy developers, et cetera, et cetera, that the privacy component of that is, is, is a key component, not just malware or offensive material, which is what they seem to be mostly attempting to screen out at the moment. I think part of the problem is that we have collectively accepted this idea of what Facebook calls frictionless use of the web. Sometimes friction is actually really useful. Ask anybody who has had to slow down a motor vehicle in an emergency friction can be your friend and actually prevent you getting into serious trouble. For example, on my Mac, I have set my wireless networking configuration so that for any network I connect to, it doesn't remember the network and the password. So when I want to reconnect, I go and personally choose the name of the network and type in the password once again. Now, it is a little bit of a pain if my computer goes to sleep, which I've set after three minutes, because I go away to get a coffee. When I come back, I have to reconnect to the Wi-Fi network. The benefit I get out of that is that I don't inadvertently just go online when I don't expect it. But of course, in my iPad and other mobile devices, including my BlackBerry, it's pretty much automatic because that's just so much more efficient and cool. There are just some times when I'd like to think, OK, I want to be online now at the rest of the time. And again, back to that good old attack surface area. If I don't need to be online because I'm reading a long email and replying to it while I'm on the bus, I don't want my phone or my iPad or my computer suddenly deciding, hey, I can find an access point you once connected to before, so I'm just going to jump you online. I don't mind that little bit of friction because it actually forces me to make informed decisions. Not all the time, just enough that I still think of them as security decisions and that security stays uppermost in my mind. And I think this whole frictionless approach actually means that it's no longer necessary or even possible for us to decide whether we want to click on a link, whether we should believe this email, whether it's likely that this friend really did recommend or like that particular article. The whole frictionlessness means that we're just assuming that the system will do the right thing by us. And as any number of cyber crooks have shown us, um, billions of dollars later, that's not the case. No, no. And I, I felt the same way about the uh, Google wallet story I talked about earlier this week. Google's like, don't worry, it's still safe to, you know, use the easiest payment solution in the world. And I'm thinking, I do not need paying for stuff to be easier, to be honest, because having to open up my billfold, look through the bills, especially when I was an American and they were all green, like I had to stare at the bills. 
to figure out what they were, uh, made me think about what I was purchasing and have a second thought, perhaps, if it was a smart idea to be purchasing that item at the moment. And uh, simply brushing my cell phone against a plastic object by uh, happenstance and paying for something isn't really my idea of a, of a good one. Well, let's wrap up and talk about some really fun stuff that we're going to be doing. I mean, RSA, you're coming out again to beautiful San Francisco, California on February, is it, what is it, the 27th, 28th, 29th, and 1st this year? It's the, the week which contains the last week of Feb and the first week of March. So if you are in, going to be in or around San Francisco, and you're not normally an attendee of the RSA conference, the trade show is great fun, and Sophos is offering you a free expo pass, which even includes some free beer, I believe, and free access to the conference keynotes Wednesday to Friday. Jump on nakedsecurity.sophos.com, and in the search bar, just type RSA, and I think the first or second article you find will let you go in and get that free pass. Make sure you come by the Sophos booth, that is booth number 1817, because Chester and I will be there, and we don't believe in going to trade shows and not having fun ourselves and helping those who have attended to have fun too. So we're going to have fun with mathematics, we're going to have fun with cryptography, we're going to have fun, so far as one can, with malware, all in a safe environment, and we're going to be giving away some groovy t-shirts and prizes. Yes. How is that for a bit of marketing by me, Chester? Am I up to scratch? That was pretty darn good, Duck. Do I qualify for the marketing department? <laughs> we, we are, in fact, giving away MacBook Airs this year, one per day. You must be present to win, unfortunately, for folks that can't come. But the, the contest that we're doing, the, the crypto puzzle contest, will be available to people online at Naked Security as well. So people that aren't um, fortunate enough to be in San Francisco in the wintertime will still be able to participate and perhaps uh, win themselves a prize. There's also a graphical representation of how the T-shirt looks on Naked Security in the article I mentioned. If you do some image enhancement, you might get a little hint of what stage one of the puzzle is about. So it's going to be a bit of fun. Like anyone who did the dragon tattoo puzzle around Christmas time last year, end of December, about 7,000 people had a crack at that and seemed to enjoy it. It's going to be something similar. The focus this time is cryptography because that's the theme of the RSA conference. The cipher is mightier than the sword. Well, and while we're doing a little self-promotion, uh, for those of you that may be in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, uh, I will be doing Anatomy of an Attack, How Hackers Threaten Your Security, in Portland on March the 14th. And I do know there's some groups of folks getting together up in Seattle to carpool down. So if you're somewhere in the uh, Pacific Northwest and can make it to Portland, we'd love to have you. You can, again, look on Naked Security for a link to the registration form, totally free. And I'll be kind of presenting the modern threat landscape, talking about the who, the why, the how, and the what behind the attacks and the different groups and criminals behind all these things, kind of explaining a bit of that threat landscape and what we're up against. And then I'm also going to do a live malware demonstration. I'm going to do some SQL injections, some uh, JavaScript obfuscation, server-side polymorphic stuff. Uh, it's, you know, good demo, good Q&A session, a lot of very smart people all getting together. So it's kind of like user group meets free training with uh, some lunch thrown in. So if you're around Portland, please join us. And Chester, I'll see you Portland, Oregon, anatomy of an attack, and I'll raise you Wellington, New Zealand, where I'll be doing something very similar on Tuesday, the 27th of March. So watch Naked Security for an invite of how to register for that. The only difference is that I promise in Wellington, we aren't going to be throwing the lunch in. We'll be serving it on plates on tables. That's how things are done in 
this part of the world, Chester? Fantastic. Um, I'm jealous. I've never been to Wellington, but uh, I've not spent much time in Portland, and I've heard it's a lovely city, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that concludes Office Security Chat Chat, episode 83. As always, all of our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com. They're on iTunes. We've got an RSS feed. And for the latest news, you should always visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Until next time, stay secure.